0: Lesbian, gay, trans, and even bi, coastal, from the chilly Hudson Valley of New York and California's furnace of Palm Springs, the GayBC Radio Network welcomes you to the GayBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mack. Hello, and
1: hey welcome to the
2: Happy Hour. Nice How's to it see go, you,
1: Johnny.
3: Uh, it's. Going perfect for a Thursday. Just
1: uh, for a Thursday, yes. <laughs> getting through the week
3: and uh, humping our way towards the weekend. And, of course, next week is a big holiday week, so short for most people, I think. A lot of people will be taking off and beginning their Christmas holidays. Uh, our friends of the Jewish faith, have, uh, I think are they've just wrapped with uh, Hanukkah. Uh, after Mm -hmm. eight days and so uh, hopefully whatever you're doing uh, you enjoy the uh, spirit of the season even if you don't celebrate one of those uh, holidays specifically Uh, a lot of people will be taking the last week or two off of work this year so that's always nice companies that give their employees that week between Christmas and New Year's I know a number of our friends from spaces who've
1: told me that they're going to be off it's true. And uh, I'm actually going to be off as well, um, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, give a little time to gather my thoughts and wits uh, before heading into the new year. So, yeah, should be good.
3: I hear that you're already very popular
1: at your new job. i <laughs> have only been there it's a few been days. Busy. Yeah it's been a few days. Yep. Uh, it's my first week and, uh, yeah, it's going well. Um, enjoying, enjoying being there. Um, it's a nice change of pace. Uh, college campuses, I have to say are, uh, are lovely. Um, especially this time of year.
3: I imagine that's a real upgrade from working in a, um, bureaucracy like the County office.
1: Oh yeah. From, from, uh, yeah, it's it's a step up from the cinder block uh, flash cube that I was in before. So yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's been it's been good. Oh, well, um, great. But uh, yeah, you know, heading into the holiday season, uh, I know everyone's kind of doing their last minute shopping and stuff. So we will get to recommendations later in the show. Um, but you know, in the meantime, uh, you know, I for all those who are listening live. Um, we this is a call-in show and so i'm going to put the number out early and we will repeat it often but the number if you want to call in tonight is 760-677-0111 and we'd love to hear from you you know as we kind of go through the stories of the week uh, and if you have any sort of thoughts otherwise you know about previous episodes or, uh, you know, your holiday plans, whatever the case may be, that's the number to call in.
3: I have to plead no contest at this point because one of our very astute listeners last week brought to my attention that there was a typo on our websites, and that typo happened to be that call-in number. So uh, <laughs> it has been corrected there as well. So if you forget at some point what the number is, it's at gbc.com or gbchappyhour.com. Both of those pages, it has been updated to, in fact, say 760 Apparently, I yes. had transposed and put 676 as the prefix because that's the prefix on our business number. And not the call in line, so sorry about that, but anyway, we would love to hear from you tonight and uh And you know what? we have just received brand new ball caps, so tonight we have um mm-hmm. we have a few gifts to give away ourselves uh to those who decide to call and partake in the show, so hopefully we will hear from you throughout the program uh if you're listening to the live broadcast so you know, Richie, over the course of the week, looking at stuff that was in the news, uh, I was actually surprised to find out that the United States Supreme Court is not going to hear a case that, to me, would have legalized torture of LGBTQ youth. And... Uh, And I guess, you know, with them having a 6-3 hold on the court on the conservative, ultra-conservative side, uh, it it seemed to me like it was a a no-brainer that they were going to take this case. And as it turned out, three of the worst justices actually did want to hear the case. But fortunately, uh, sanity did prevail. And it especially touches my heart because this is a case that comes out of my home state, Washington State. And so, uh, we're finally hearing some good news about a case that the Supreme Court is not going to hear. Uh, and that has to do with Washington State's law that prohibits the practice of conversion therapy.
1: Right. And, uh, yeah. And, and the thing is, uh, this is part of the uh, the kind of strategy what, – what we saw happening is, is the strategy um, from the right, especially the anti-LGBTQ right, is to push, push, push these cases forward and hope to get a circuit split where you have, let's say, the first or the second circuit – you know, or let's say the Ninth Circuit, which is you know generally kind of like a little bit more progressive,
2: right. comes out
1: one way, and then they get the Fifth Circuit in Texas to go the other way. Right. What that does is that's a fast track to get something teed up for the Supreme Court, which is you know six three conservative, and so it's you know this is a a tactic that the conservative movement is using to try to overturn precedent and sort of set you know new. A, a new uh, stake in the ground for conservative jurisprudence.
3: Not, but n- not um, to, um, not that it's any sort of surprise. But justices uh, Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Brett Kavanaugh, all said that they would have liked to have heard the appeal.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that I see, I see this, um, uh, this quote from Thomas, which is so disingenuous. Um, Thomas writes wrote in his you know dissent or his you know his uh, uh, dissent as to the you know the fact that they did not take up the case. He wrote that there is quote a fierce public debate over how best to help minors with gender dy- dysphoria, um, and that the state had quote silenced one side of this debate. So first of all, there's no fierce public debate about fucking conversion therapy right it is roundly and widely and universally reviled as torture and unhelpful and not useful it has been debunked so uh, first of all you know thomas i mean thomas lives in this fantasy land you know where there's all these kind of fake groups and these you know these fake organizations that pump out fake information about various topics, especially LGBTQ topics. And so, you know, he got some pamphlet from Exodus, you know, printed in 1996, you know, that talks about conversion therapy and you know, reads that as a quote fierce public debate over how best to help minors with gender dysphoria. So, um, you know, that's just rich from him. And then also, you know, Alito said that the case, quote, presents a question of national importance that clearly implicates free speech issues. Um, you know, again, it's not nationally important because conversion therapy is a radically rare, thankfully, because of a lot of states is a rare and stupid and wrong-headed idea. So these three justices are just kind of, again, trying to cram uh, you know, a, a, this, this niche, extreme, and debunked practice upon the country.
3: Yeah, and it is good that uh, it is, although very narrow, a majority of states, 26 of them, that actually uh, do outlaw the practice. Um, here's what I was looking uh, uh, for a, mo- a moment ago, and that is that uh, Brian Tingley uh, is a licensed marriage and family counselor, though one would question uh, if he should be. Um, he's the one who said that the law violates his free speech rights under the Constitution's first amendment because the government is seeking to dictate what he says. I, I don't see it as that at all. I mean the government dictates a lot of things for the general safety of the public. You know?
1: Yeah, I mean I mean there's uh, th- you can't there are...
3: you can't make a claim of, of first amendment rights uh and say, you know, um I have the right to say that I can you know, I can turn left on a red
1: light. Right. It's. I mean, unfortunately, uh, I mean that that's true. Except when we go into Never Neverland, which is the world of the First Amendment religious rights jurisprudence, which have been so expanded over over the de- you know over the years you know by the right to basically mean that in many ways they can. Like, you know, I, I feel like th- that there would be a couple justices on this current Supreme Court that would probably say, yes, if you have a firmly held religious belief that you should be able to turn right on red, you know, even though that, you know, you're not allowed to generally, they would be like, yes, because because God said so. I mean, that's literally where their heads are at. And so, you know, this person, this Brian Tingley, who says, you know, that – uh What is it that he he believes that sex each person receives at conception is not an accident or error, but rather a gift from God? I mean, you can believe whatever you want, but at the end of the day, like there are guardrails on on you know practices, healthcare practices essentially is what's or you know counseling practices. I mean, you can't counsel someone to kill themselves. You know, like, there are a lot of things you can't say to people. Right. With good reason. Yeah. And, you know, and and I don't care what this guy's personal beliefs are. Um. You know, there's just a baseline scientific, you know, with, with real rational background, proof that conversion therapy not only doesn't work, but is actively harmful to the people who go through it. So you know, the the idea there should be a religious exemption, you know, for First Amendment rights to basically harm people uh, with no benefit? No. Yeah.
3: Well, Bob Ferguson Ferguson is the Attorney General for the state of Washington, and uh, in defending the law, he said in court papers that it was not a pressing issue, (laughs) considering that Mr. Tingley is the only licensed therapist in the state of Washington who has objected to it (laughs) at least at this point. So, yeah, that's not a pressing uh,
1: issue, I don't think. Right. And where this really, the reason why this matters, this conversion therapy bullshit matters, is because, you know, this guy markets Tingly, you know, whatever, it's always some kook uh, with a name like literally Tingly, um, markets his conversion therapy to serve clients who, quote, want to become comfortable with their biological sex. Or, to quote, help to direct their focus to opposite sex relationships. if this were if this were a service that was targeted towards, you know, adults, th- that would still be bad. But why this matters is because this is really about coercion of minors by parents into an abusive and not useful therapy practice.
3: And how many of those young people, who have had to face that, have ended up doing significant, not just psychological, but physical damage up to and including
1: uh, taking their lives. Right. And, and, and the thing is, you know, serving clients who want to become comfortable with their biological sex, well, most of, many of these young folks are comfortable with their sex. They are gay. But it's their parents because they're they're in a financially coercive situation because they're under their parents' roofs and they're teenagers and they're in high school or junior high. They don't have a say. If they had a say, they would say, "Actually, I'm very comfortable with my sex. I'm just queer." Um. So that doesn't even even that just doesn't make sense. It just you know it all. I'm just really glad that the Supreme Court decided not to make this their next you know sort of you know, precedent-busting case.
3: Yeah. I honestly was kind of surprised that Amy Coney Barrett was not one of the justices in that bunch. But, I mean, not that the ones who were uh, surprised me at all. I would have normally thought that the only person who might be in play out of that group would have been uh, John Roberts. But I don't know. It's... There's just no figuring this court out anymore because all of the Republican uh, justices that are on the bench um, are equally dangerous for LGBTQ purposes. So,
1: well, they're they're all actually equally dangerous in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like it's kind of like uh, depending on the issue. There's going to be some plurality of them that are just going to be on the wrong side of history yeah and um and you know if it's a very you know if if they get a chance to overturn you know a, a long-standing you know precedent that uh that no one actually really wants overturned except for a, a, a vanishingly small radical you know uh right you know agenda group they will definitely gleefully pick that one up and run with it i I don't know why they I don't know why they they slept on this one. This seems like one that they would have generally would love to kind of just, you know, thumb their nose at, you know, the the country at large and just say, "Yeah, um, you know, religious rights, you know, let go for it conversion therapists." I'm surprised, yeah. But I'll take it. I'll take it as well.
3: And on that note, um we're going to go to a birthday party next we're gonna. Oh yes. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna head off to an island far far away, and we're going to take part in the celebration of something's 191st birthday. So stay with us. Uh, we still have a lot more to come, including, of course, our our product and services picks for you in the GBC happy hour seal of approval coming up on our second hour. Richie is going to have, as always, his happy hour mixology 101 segment. And so if you're looking for cocktails and mocktails to make you, uh, well, maybe not famous, but at least well-liked for the holiday season, if you're going to a party or hosting a party, Um, we'll have some ideas for you on that front as well. We're also going to um, be taking a break at the end of the show for a couple of weeks uh, as we take a little holiday break, and then we'll be back with you. Telling you more about that still to come, all right here on the GBC Happy Hour. So stay with us. You're listening to Richie Roy and Johnny Mac on the GBC Radio Network.
0: Side might be frightening, and Jack might be nipping at your... Uh, forget it, guys. I'm not reading any more of this smut. Even this microphone has its limits. Back to your hot toddies of LGBTQ stuff. It's Santa Mac and his reindeer Richie. Oh, and me? I'm Howard the Hanukkah Bush. I don't get no respect. Take it away, you silly seasonal homos.
1: Hello. Welcome back to the happy hour. And uh, yeah, we'll have to um, we're, we're coming up on the uh, on the end of the useful life of that little intro segment. We are. Uh, we're going to have to do a fresh one for uh, for the new year. But um, speaking of turning over the odometers, this is a fun, cute little story. Um, it is the one hundred ninety first birthday of the world's oldest living land animal. Yep. Jonathan is is his name. Jonathan, that's right. A giant tortoise from the island of St. Helena.
3: Yeah, 191. Can you imagine? Like, I think if I could go to 191, I would be clamoring for
1: a cliff (laughs) to jump off (laughs) of. I don't know. I mean, the article says that he's he's happy and healthy. I don't know how they judge that. I mean, I guess he eats his lettuce or whatever, but... um, yeah, I guess he's doing okay. Um I mean, it is amazing, uh, you know, these these creatures that that live so long. Um that I have a uh snapping turtle in my pond that is like gigantic, like the size of like a coffee table and um I have no me? idea how old this uh this uh, snapping turtle is, but um it's got to be pretty old. Really, that big I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like, really quite big around. I mean, like, I, it's always hard to kind of you know think about um, two feet in diameter and na- yeah, like that. Yeah. Wow, that is huge. Yeah, and I th- and actually, so and and uh, there's actually multiple snapping turtles. I didn't realize that until recently because I had only seen the one, and and it's and it was nicknamed Mitch McConnell. Um, <laughs> By but, you, uh, I. For obvious reasons, yes. um, so I had seen Mitch McConnell in the pond, and actually, had he had come up a couple times near the house. I think actually, Mitch is a she, and maybe was going to lay eggs. But um, then uh, last year, yeah, it's in the been of the summer,
3: it's been rumored that uh, Mitch is a she too. Yeah, uh, the one in Washington.
1: <laughs> but so, uh, but so I uh, I was looking at the pond one afternoon, and I saw Mitch McConnell, and then I saw another big creature and uh, another snapping turtle and Mitch McConnell and this other snapping turtle were getting it on. And I was like, Oh, we have more than one snapping turtle in the pond. And they were, it was like, and then there was actually, there was a, a heron was standing in the pond watching them get out. You know, it was like, it was being, at, it was like being at the Eagle, you know, it was like, they were just like out in public, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, Never thought about uh, but, that, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so happy birthday to uh, Jonathan. to Jonathan. And let's see, I'm bad at math. 191 years. So when th- when when was the, When would Jonathan have been born? Let's see, that's like almost 200 years ago. So yeah, 1823, like eighteen eight the early mid 1800s. Something so, like that. Jonathan's seen a lot. I mean, seen several wars, has seen...
3: Uh, yeah, they're saying yeah. here that, uh, um, that those uh, 191 years tell a tale of endurance, witnessing the ebb and flow of history from the Mines Act of 1842 to the abolition <laughs> of slavery in 1865 and beyond, and the reigning elder statesman of the animal kingdom... Uh, As that, he has um, borne witness to eight British monarchs, 40 U.S. presidents, and embodying a living connection to the animals of, or I'm sorry, the animals, the annals of time. And uh, despite the challenges that come with age, including a loss of smell and impaired vision uh, his dedicated caretakers, led by the steadfast veterinarian Joe Hollins, ensured that that he indulged in a special feast of fruits and vegetables for his hundred and ninety first celebration so it's good to know that there are are good people taking care of of Jonathan.
1: Yeah, no, I'm glad. I I feel, and I feel like that same. I mean, you know, a couple years ago, I went to see um, Cher at Madison Square Garden, and I think that that same veterinary team is in charge of her because um, that was that show was particularly. Creaky. Uh, she came out on stage for about 15 minutes for the whole show and the rest of it was all video projection. But I think she was getting fed some leaves, le- some lettuce and fruit behind this behind the scenes, um, you know, in between those uh, brief appearances.
3: Yeah, there's um, the story actually has uh, some historical pictures of Jonathan. Oh, going back way back. And so I guess that's got to be how part of how they know, uh, how old. And right.
1: Is. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I feel like these pictures are kind of the original, I don't know if you've seen like on Instagram or on Twitter, um, you know, pe- they'll, people post the thing like post your, you know, your 10 year glow up, you know, and it'll post, someone will post a picture of them at, you know, 18 and then 28 or, you know, Twenty-five and thirty-five, or whatever. Right. You know, the Jonathan had quite a glow-up. You know, between eighteen fifty and you know twenty twenty-three. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, more power to him. And uh, <laughs> you know, at least he doesn't have to uh, live in spaces and deal with ageism. So
1: that's true. Yeah, there's no that? ageism I'm in, sorry, the, in the tortoise realm. Yeah. I don't think. No. And, and, you know, as Willard Scott would say, um, he's 191 years young.
3: Absolutely. Now, feed him some smuckers jam and let's move on. (laughs) Stay with us because next we're going to talk about misery. Misery. I mean, Missouri. And they have a very special state senator there who's got a really great idea that you got to hear all about. Oh, gosh. I don't know about America's heartland sometimes. It's more like America's heartless land. Stay with us. (laughs) This is the GBC Happy Hour. News update next for our live listeners, and we'll be right back.
0: From gaybc.com, this is The Happy Hour, with your hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack, your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things
1: LGBTQ. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Happy Hour. Um, And uh, it's generally a happy hour, but uh, this segment isn't so happy because... uh, There is uh, a total nut job who in the state of misery, as they call it, uh, State Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman, uh, who has an R next to her name, if you're not surprised, um, who has introduced a bill, Senate Bill 1061, that seeks to uh, prohibit uh, any public entity from entering into a contract with a company Unless there is a written certification that the company is not engaged in and shall not, for the duration of the contract, engage in any kind of economic boycott. So... Boo! What it, and, it, and what it suggests, in it, for examples, is um, that <clears throat> the company... Uh, an economic boycott would include refusing to work with a company because it does not facilitate, is not expected to facilitate, or does not commit to facilitate access to abortion, sex, or gender change, or transgender surgery or medical treatments. So what it's basically saying is that any sort of municipality, any public corporation, any or any kind of public uh, subdivision, so a school, city government, county government, a library, that um, if – that they can't contract with any company that has uh, you know any kind of uh policies about refusing to work with anti-trans you know or anti-gay uh businesses.
3: but Republicans are the they're the party, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but i I think I've been hearing for God knows how long that they're the party that wants the government out of people's lives that they don't want regulation on business. They don't want the government to be able to tell a business what it can and cannot do. Um, So if a business has the good sense to say, we have a policy of being supportive of LGBTQ plus employees or customers, um, we uh, take a stance uh, that we not only provide benefits for those people, um, but perhaps they require as one company did in the 1990s in Colorado and kind of started this whole form of corporate activism when Cork, a software company that made desktop publishing software in Denver, the owner of Cork, Tim Gill, who has been a major uh, benefactor to LGBTQ plus causes for years now, um, He required that any businesses doing business with his company, you know, and there were hundreds, if not thousands of vendors that they used, had to send a copy of their employment non-discrimination statement for the company and show that they actually included LGBTQ people in uh, the category or sexual orientation and gender identity, that they had to protect those if they wanted to do business with Cork. So if this had happened in Colorado that would have been something that they would have had a problem with and Tim did that with Cork uh at the time because of the fact that that the um amendment 2 had passed there which was an anti-gay uh bill and you know or or uh amendment to the state constitution and that really had a significant influence in getting businesses to straighten up and fly right when it came to these kinds of matters. But now in misery, um, uh, where the governor has already signed a couple of anti-trans bills that target kids, um, it just it turns my guts to think... That a company would have to abide by such a such a ruling and not be able to exercise, in essence, their free speech, uh, and and you know their practices, uh, and have an influence on others because of that, because certainly uh, you know they can't you know they can't walk away from other uh, areas that are protected by law. Uh, you know, and wouldn't want to. I don't imagine they wouldn't want to trample on people's rights because of their color, creed, you know, national origin, um, sex, etc.
1: Well, I mean, there's a couple things there. One of them is the you know this this is like likely unconstitutional. I mean, for the the reason that you mentioned is like it is basically like a First Amendment you know issue. But second of all, this idea, have you know that the that the Republican Party is the you know. Anti-regulation, you know, kind of pro-business party. That is, that ship has sailed. I mean, the 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 rise of the theocratic and autocratic right that we've seen over the past, you know, however many years, um, really, you know, in, in the past, let's say, fifteen years, um, just to throw a number on it, um, they are all too. The thing is they were they were really about this kind of libertarian hands-off thing when corporations were essentially kind of conservative in nature they were basically keep hands off companies because companies were conservative um companies now are reflective of the economic reality and the and the market and and you know and the the populace that they serve you know the America by and large, when you look at the demographics, when you look at the surveys, is uh, believes in things like equality, racial equality, LGBTQ rights, that they're broadly held beliefs. And companies actually want to make money. And companies are reflecting the the mores and values that they see in their clients and their customers. And so you have companies that are doing things like having diversity, equity and inclusion officers, um, are, you know, uh, espousing sort of pro LGBTQ policies, um, you know, being, uh, for things like, you know, kind of, uh, bringing ra- you know, discussions of racial equality and racial equity into the forefront. Companies are doing that because that's what the American people broadly want. Republicans see this happening and they are throwing a tantrum. And so instead of, so they never actually really cared about hands off of companies as some kind of ideological thing except for maybe some libertarians they what they really want is just uh, is their values to be reflected um you know wherever they can have them reflected and so um so what you're seeing is this increasing thing with republican states where they're doing things like um you know mandating that schools you know schools within the states can't have a diversity equity and inclusion program it, they can't there's no funding available for that the funding is stripped from that they're they're trying to put their thumb on the scales of private companies uh, from from basically exercising speech that they don't agree with i mean this is this goes all you know all goes back again to you know ron DeSantis's you know quixotic tilting at windmills against disney
2: mm-hmm. because
1: disney had the temerity to even though it took them a while to get there, to push back against the "Don't Say Gay" bill, and that pissed him off, and so he's been, you know, basically kind of pushing these bills of attainder against Disney to try to punish them and and force them into the kind of speech and the kind of acts that they want. So don't get it twisted. The Republicans are not, you know, this hands-off pro-business party. What they are is they're a pro. Uh, you know, sort of pro, um, uh, you know, theological, pro, um, you know, uh, revanchist party at this point. And um, that's what they are staking their claim on. And they will use every lever of power against individual citizens and against co- companies and against states and localities. Because another thing they do is this sort of hydraulic effect thing where they will, if when they're in power in the federal government, Or in a state government, they will pass laws that say no locality or no state can pass a law more restrictive than the least restrictive thing. And so let's say a state, you know, a state passes an anti-trans bill. Um, They also will throw in something that says no city within the state can have anything more protective than what the state law is. Because ultimately they are about command and control. They're not about hands off.
3: Yeah, indeed. I honestly too, I just had a really good idea. We should encourage everybody to send Ron DeSantis some no dos so he can be woke.
1: Ugh. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine how, how fucking flared his eyes would be? I mean, you know, and how much he'd be smacking his lips even more than usual if he got some nodos in his system. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about, we didn't talk about it on the show because it's not really within the ambit of what we normally talk about. But um, geez Louise, I saw some clips from the most recent Republican debate and oh boy.
3: Wow. Yeah. I can't, I just can't even.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's no bueno. (laughs) And meanwhile, you know, then you have, uh, you know, the, the, the troops are falling in line. You know, I saw, I saw a thing that, you know, on truth social Trump tweeted, you know, a mob boss thing about, you know, we'll take a look at Missouri and Texas. Uh, you know, the Democrats are kind of looking at those states and surprise, surprise, Josh Hawley endorsed Trump like the next day.
3: I'm, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, why wouldn't he? He's you know, he's in lockstep with that that freak show. But the people in those states—I mean, we know that there's a lot of good, sensible people living in the American Midwest, and I just want to see them come out in you know numbers too big to ignore. Just steal a line from Helen Reddy. But uh, I don't know what it's going to take for common sense to win the majority in those states. And I feel bad for people who live there because it's a nice area to live in. It's an affordable area to live in. Right. But why would you want to live somewhere where, you know, people, You a, mass amount, a massive amount of people that you don't know um, are rooting for your lack of existence.
1: I mean, it's a good question, and I think it goes it goes to a bigger issue. You know, I was thinking about there. You know, the the it it actually brings up several issues. One, the underlying problem issue is gerrymandering. Yeah, I mean that that is why that is why states that look like they look look like they look is because. It has been gerrymandered to the point where, even though the popula the population is purple, the population everywhere is purple. But it's dr- the maps are drawn in such a way that there's no that there's not going to ever be any Democratic control ever. And the thing is, you know, Republicans. I mean, just generally, you know, politics is about power and numbers and power. And if you're if you are you know in a state that where the maps are drawn such that it's always going to be Republican there's no incentive for for republicans or anyone to pay attention to all of the people in that state and there are many 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 of them who are not aligned because they don't care and you know but at the same time there are people who are from you know there's this idea of elasticity right you can move you can move if you need to if you want to you know you can you know if you don't like your state move to a different one well there's not always jobs that exist in the place you want to go. It's not always affordable and you might have other extenuating circumstances that are actually kind of big ones that might militate against moving your family. Your family is there for generations. Yeah. Um, Should you be forced basically to be a refugee from the state that you love and have lived in your family has lived in for generations because uh, gerrymandering and terroristic, you know, behavior from the right has, you know, basically made it untenable for you to live there. That kind of sucks as a sort of normative idea. And you know what you see is, um, you know, in places like the South. You know, I, I follow someone on Instagram who's a, a, a queer, uh, guy, and he's I forget which day, I think he's in Arkansas or somewhere, and he's starting a gay campground called the Boar's Rut. And his kind of thought there is this is a place where there are not where we are not really welcome very much but it's where I'm from and where I live and where I want people to feel welcome so I'm gonna create a gay campground in a inhospitable place so that people can feel welcome here and I actually kind of welcome that sort of idea
3: that's a great idea and we'll have more of them coming your way momentarily as we continue with the GBC Happy Hour and remind you that our telephone lines are open. If you want to chime in on any of the stuff that we've talked about or will be talking about this evening, 760-677-0111 is the phone number. 760-677-0111. And coming up, we're going to get to one of our favorite people in the world to talk about we're going to talk about our friend Elon Elon Musk so stay tuned
0: It's not always laughter and games on the KBC happy hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mac, but when it is, you'll know when it's time to cut them off. Now back to the beer pong. Uh, I mean show boys.
3: You know, when it comes to people being so unhinged that you think that they live on earth too, I don't think anybody, well, There's some close calls, but I think that one of the people who definitely has his um, real estate staked out there on Earth, too, is Elon Musk. And very interesting uh, perspective on his situation in Business Insider uh, earlier this week in a piece that was um, uh, written by Lynette Lopez. You'll find it actually it was uh, written uh, yeah, it was earlier this week. It was on December 10th. If you want to go looking for it, its headline: Elon Musk's luck has finally run out. I know we've talked about this many times in Twitter Spaces and I, you know, or X Spaces, I guess if you want to call it that. But uh, you know, therein lies one of the stupidest moves that anybody uh, ever did um, in changing that name. But Apparently, there were a lot of people who were scratching their head when he participated in a forum that was uh, produced by the New York Times, uh, I guess just recently, uh, last week perhaps, uh, it was their deal book conference that took place. And he just, I don't know what you can believe that comes out of that guy's mouth, but a lot of people in in amongst our friends who uh, participate in spaces and do a lot of tweeting um, or xing I don't know is that what you're supposed to call it now is it xing? Um, a lot of them are worried that th- this forum that they have built all these connections through or is going to go away. I don't think that that's going to happen. And I know Richie, you read the story as well, and my take is that that he's got a lot of debt holders in very high places, and they're not going to throw the towel in, I don't think, on Twitter. But I think that they're about done with him, and I think that his days of running that that social media outlet uh, are going to be coming to, a, to an end, just like the uh, cash flow in his bank accounts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... The story was really good. It was really well written and I think it was it really kind of laid all the laid all the chips on the table and kind of put it all into perspective because basically um you know and and we 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 unfortunately are living in this world where this media world where for for whatever reason we've given Free license to a handful of absolute narcissists to take complete control of our, you know, daily conversation. One of whom is Elon Musk. I mean, another one was the former president, and we have a handful of other ones. But Elon Musk is certainly one of them. We pay a lot of attention to him. We, uh, there, there, there. He has a a, a huge fawning, uh, a demographic of fawning fanboys who believe that literally everything he does is genius and gospel. Meanwhile, he's kind of a shitty businessman. And what he's done is he's rearranging the deck chairs on this, you know, on the Titanic headed to Mars, um, you know, stealing, you know, money from one place to, to put in another. And be, literally bought Twitter because he's pissed that a couple that a couple people that he liked, you know, who were firebrands, were were deplatformed from it for being bigots and assholes, and he was so pissed off about that that he and and he lived in such a at that point distortion field that he managed to vastly you know vastly overvalue a company you know and get and get people on board to help him pony up money to do it. He also, you know, used a bunch of his you know uh, equity in, in Tesla to do that. Um, but you know, got a bunch of creditors to come along for the ride, took it private, um, you know, basically kind of then started dismantling it and screwing with it and basically making it kind of an unlike, an unlikable, unmarketable shell of a company. Um, the product is still there. You know, Twitter. You know, Twitter is still Twitter. You can tweet. I mean, it, it, X. Whatever. I'm not going to call it X. You know, for sake of the discussion, we're going to call it Twitter. You can still tweet. There are still Twitter Spaces. There's still, you know, the the platform exists as you know as an existing technology. But the advertisers are fleeing because you know he is actively stoking hate speech on around the regular. Um, you know, he has completely eviscerated all the content management teams, you know, that dealt with things like hate speech. Um, and actually, you know, he courts that. You know, I think he has this this kind of idea, this pirate flag idea that, you know, oh, well, all speech is great speech. Let's just all put it here on X. Um and, you know, in the meantime, there's just so many just little collateral stories, putting a giant X on the roof of the building without a permit, you know, that was blinding people and was not even legal. And they had to take the big X down. Um, but meanwhile, what he's doing is he's burnt through, you know, all this money with Twitter because he's he's not only not righted the ship, but has actually tanked the ship. You know, he's literally torpedoed his own boat and. Um, and like you said, at some point, you know, there's not going to be any more money to burn through. And what happens then is not. Twitter does have a lot of people on it. It has potential, and what you know what happens then um, is bankruptcy. And you know, one of the things that that I think people you know there's there's a couple kinds of bankruptcies. There's liquidation, and then there's restructuring. And I don't think Twitter is going to go into liquidation. You know, I think what would happen uh, is, and even if it went to liquidation, that would be one thing. But you know, restructuring is basically um, the existing capital structure. Everyone takes a haircut, and uh, you know, and then there's sort of new leadership put in place, and they they kind of it, it emerges as a going forward, you know, in, uh, you know, concern without some of the the debt. That was that was you know dragging down the the company,
2: yeah.
1: Um. So you know there there is a world in which, uh, you know, Twitter becomes unable to pay its debts as they come due. You know, all of the all that credit that he heaped onto the company when he took it private, and then uh, it gets restructured and it, be, it it emerges as a kind of different leaner, um, company with different with different leadership.
3: Yeah, I was surprised to learn that just the loan interest for the money that he's borrowed to purchase the company uh, in this year totaled almost $1.5 billion. That was just the interest that was due this year on that purchase. And also that he has leveraged himself so much with the Tesla equity that he only owns 20% of Tesla, as it is, and what he has pledged to his um, to his creditors is 67% of that. So he would essentially uh, come away, if they decided to call the notes due, he would only own 6% of Tesla. He also um, borrowed money uh, against SpaceX. Uh, he borrowed a billion dollars, which he paid back a month later uh, as part of the the deal to purchase Twitter. However, he had to sell $4 billion worth of stock in Tesla to pay that back. So he's not the smartest guy when it comes to managing his money, uh, for sure. His mouth um, writes a lot of checks that his wallet probably is not going to be able to cash for long. And Vicky Bryan is a well-respected Uh, analyst and she says quote there is money that has been set on fire that is never coming back we're in the salvage business with Twitter and in a restructuring with Elon gone you can have people looking at it Uh, they can foresee that Elon didn't do anything that can't be reversed and offer instant relief so it might seem that that the only salvage for Twitter or X is if he is actually removed from the
1: C-suite? I mean, honestly, the only the real salvage would be for him to be removed from every C-suite because you know uh, yeah. when you look at Tesla, um, I mean, let's just let's just you know set aside t- Twitter slash X because he's obviously you know he bought it uh at an extreme premium, has mismanaged it you know, into a complete dumpster fire. But you know, people will say, okay, well, you know, well he, um, you know, maybe he he kind of bit off more than he could chew with Twitter, but you know, look at Tesla. Well, look at Tesla actually. There are a lot of great things about, you know, Tesla, you know, uh, has a lot of market share in, in electric vehicles, um, whatever um, but meanwhile, they have a bunch of cars that are kind of aging and then the, he's spending all of his time and energy on this you know on this cyber truck that is a total boondoggle and you know a donny brook and um you know not to mix metaphors and you know whatever but uh a mess it's not that's not a viable real car and you know every every kind of reputable uh uh sort of Uh, news outlet that deals with automotive stuff is like oh yeah that's a mess but we'll get back to it
3: which is the queerest state in america well you might be surprised as we turn the spotlight on the top five that's coming up after our top of hour update stay with us this is the gbc happy hour
0: The following program is filled with life-sustaining information for being a good human being. It's also full of shaming for bad humans. Sprinkle in an abundance of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and the rest of the Lucky Charms alphabet, and you have the GayBC Happy Hour, hosted by a couple of fabulous unicorns who just can't help themselves from farting glitter wherever they go. Ladies and gentlemen, and those with pronouns I'm still learning about. Here are your by Coastal friends, Richie Roy and Johnny
1: Mack. Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. Welcome to the second hour of the happy hour. Um, and uh, yeah, we, to, to, to move from, uh, we're going to move a little bit, uh, switch gears from um, talking about uh, Elon Musk to uh, talking about something a little more fun.
3: Yeah, Happier is,
1: Acres. What was that? Happier Acres. Happier Acres, indeed. Um, so the question of the, of, the, of the moment is, what is the queerest state in America? I was honestly surprised.
3: Um, I was surprised, actually, by almost all of them. And we have the top five. Uh, Apparently, uh, there is 14.1 million adults in the United States identifying as part of the LGBTQ plus community, or roughly uh, around 5.5% of Americans, according to a new uh, poll or, or data that has been released actually by the University of California at Los Angeles's uh, Williams Institute. And, of course, it acknowledges that, that uh, queer folks live in all of the U.S., with almost 37% of them, unbelievably, in the South. Why, if we have such a strong presence there, don't we have more common-sense leadership? And rights in those places, I think that unfortunately it comes down to a lot of people, Richie, who just hate politics, and I get it, I totally get it, and but they don't want to be involved, and um, and that's that's kind of a bummer because if we have that much presence, then we should be able to influence the hearts and minds of people uh, all over. Surprisingly. Kentucky originally came in at the top of these rankings, which of course, uh, is enough to make you blow, um, carbonated beverages out your nose, um, and not feel good about it. But it turned out that there was, uh, some controversial, uh, consideration in that. And the data was, um, was double checked and, It was actually corrected Um, in a statement on Twitter. um, uh, Brad Sears, who's the founding director of the Institute that did this, said that uh, we made a mistake and we apologize to Kentucky and to you. Um, But no, Mitch McConnell's beloved Kentucky is, is not the number one queerest place in America. So... Maybe we start with uh, number five. You want to do that, Richie? Do you have it up?
1: Oh, we're going to go in the opposite direction. Yeah, we'll go in the
3: opposite direction. Number five is near and dear to my heart because it's my home state.
1: Absolutely. Uh, So number five was Washington. Um, And I'm... So this is... It's an interesting... It's an interesting uh survey because basically what they're saying is that they're the, the, the it's the density of the LGBTQ population that is where they're going for in terms of this this study. Um, and so Washington has uh, almost 6.9 percent of the state's population call themselves a part of the queer family according to the Williams Institute. So really, you know it it's an interesting, the way to think about it because, um, you know, the it's not necessarily, and, and you know, I'm not saying this about Washington, but just what this isn't saying is not saying the most pro gay states, it's not saying that they have the best policies or the most representation or whatever. It's just literally population is right. what they're going for. I was and, actually
3: kind of horrified when I read that, uh, one of the things that they focused on here, which I don't think was the criteria for making the list was that uh, washington state um uh you know Seattle being its largest city has sent six drag queens to sachet on drag race, and I'm like uh, okay
1: right yeah and that that that, that and that in three dollars and fifty cents will get you a cup of coffee right um so, so we've got the Pacific Northwest and the number four, we have New Hampshire. So, uh, you know, going up to New England, uh, 7.2% of the state saying they're queer. Um, three is Vermont, uh, which, you know, again, New England. Uh, there we have 7.4% of the population uh, uh, registers as queer. Then there's one that actually kind of threw me off. I have to say, because Vermont, I get, I totally get Vermont. New Hampshire, I get because it's New England. You know, even the New Hampshire has a little bit of a, of a, um, of a reputation for being a little bit more of a Republican state, but it's still New England. Yeah. The one that threw me off next was number two is Delaware. Well, isn't, that's where uh, Rehoboth is, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's that, true.
3: I kind of figured that it may have something to do with the concentration of uh, LGBT people who go to Rehoboth and that area, but yeah, it's but, but it that, was it's certainly a that, surprise since it's also you know one of the smallest states in the union.
1: It also surprised me because you know if you want to talk about. I mean i get, I think that might be I think that might be what it is because Rehoboth might tilt the scales in a state like' Rehoboth, with Delaware. I was surprised because Massachusetts wasn't on the list,
3: yeah, I was surprised because you know my current home state isn't isn't there either, and of course we have super mega populations in several cities in the state um you know in palm springs and in uh west hollywood and you know, in San Francisco and uh, Sacramento and San Diego, all have large LGBTQ communities. But California didn't make the list. However, it was another West Coast state that did, and the number one was Oregon.
2: Yep. Yeah. So
3: that's true. Says the Beaver State is officially the queerest state in the U.S. with 7.8 percent of its adult population identifying as LGBTQ. That's 253,300 LGBTQ plus adults living in Oregon. And it goes on to say that it's a bit of a duh as America's gay and queer populations have always been attracted uh, to coastal states. And Portland, which is Oregon's biggest city, of course, has a long history of welcoming the LGBTQ plus community. So, yeah. So, Oregon, you are the queerest state, at least in terms of by the methodology, as Richie explained it. And uh, congratulations. I'm sure the fact that we're talking about it is going to boost their their tourism economy immensely.
1: (laughs) I mean, one thing that, that does strike me about this and makes me not question the methodology, but just... Just think a little about it is, uh, I feel like um, I'd be interested to kind of know what their questions were and what they're kind of how they did this, because one of the things that does jump out at me about these states is these are all really white states. And there are a lot of queer people of color in this country. And so I just, I, it just, it strikes me as sort of as, as, as just a thing to think about because, um, you know, there, there are huge population, queer populations of color in other States that I feel, um, whatever this methodology is, I think privileges certain types of populations over others, perhaps.
3: Probably. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, not, not to like, you know, I mean, it's fun. It's a fun, it's, it's always a fun thing to kind of do these sort of surveys of top five, whatever's, but, um, you know, I, you know, when I think about, and again, this goes to, uh, you know, the, I, I think the rubric is, you know, the overall population and, uh, the percentage that, that identify as queer or, or, you know, gay and gay and queer. But that's only kind of one thing to think about, because um, that also might uh, privilege states that have, um, you know, very, uh, you know, have a couple big cities and rural areas that have almost no one in them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But we have other states, you know, you give me an example, California has huge gay populations, but it also has really large. You know, a, a lot of rural and like other types of populations that that might be very not LGBTQ. Right. Um, so I think it's I think this is a, it's a fun game to play. I think this seems like maybe a pretty flawed uh, survey in a lot of respects, but a fun one.
3: Maybe we should um, maybe uh, during our break, we should write uh, to the public. Uh, to the people at at the uh, at UCLA who did this study at the Williams Institute, and asked them to come on and join us on the show and talk about it.
1: Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, yeah, I mean because you know, and and I think another thing that you kind of brought up before, which is like why some of these were surprising or whatever, is. Um, is there's, uh, there are just a lot of different ways to look at, at kind of, um, at our populations. And, you know, I think a lot of times there, there's, um, these are also states that, I don't know, that are all maybe kind of a little bit, if a state is, is more um, amenable to LGBTQ rights the people in that state might feel more empowered to identify as gay in a survey. And so there may be States actually that have that, that, that might even be queerer, but the people who are queer in that state don't feel comfortable responding as queer. I just think there's a lot of, there's a, it almost brings up more questions than it answers. Yeah. Actually this survey.
3: It's interesting. Uh I actually do want to get somebody to come on and join us from there because I'm I'm looking through the website right now at the uh, UCLA uh, School of Law Williams Institute, which um, does a whole bunch of LGBTQ stuff, and um, they, uh, they conduct independent research on sexual orientation and gender identity law and public policy and uh, ensure that facts, not stereotypes inform laws policies and judicial decisions that affect the lgbt community so um i think it'd be worthwhile for us to get them on and to talk about those things since yeah they're I know studying that, stuff I, nationwide
1: that would be interesting and to go back to your earlier question where you know you mentioned that one of the things that it meant that the the survey came up with is that almost 37 percent uh of the queer population lives in the south and you said well why don't we have better representation there and part of it, again, goes back to, and I know I've said on the show, I sound like a broken record, but it really comes down to structural issues in terms of things like gerrymandering. I mean, if, you know, because you say that there might be people in the South who just don't feel, they feel apathetic about politics. Yeah. Well, what does it mean if you, if you can, uh, if you can protest and advocate and hand out pamphlets and speak your piece and do all that you want and know that you will never move the needle in terms of who's actually your elected officials, how that is extremely alienating.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that sucks. And that's the re I mean, and I'm talking about, you know, obviously we've talked, you know, local level is different at local level. Maybe you can make a difference, but at the state level and the fe- you know, the federal level, um, you know it's it it really is harmful to, and the thing is the Republicans are really all about this, whether it's in terms of drawing maps, whether in terms of taking people off the voter rolls, rolling back the ability to vote, you know, by mail or vote early. They're about disenfranchising because what you do is when you disenfranchise people from the vote, you what you do is you you tend to pick off people who, maybe have to work on election day, or people who are, you know, um, are, you know, kind of marginal, maybe they don't have IDs, you know, homeless people, or let's say, you know, queer youth who were turfed out of their house and are homeless, you know, um, they probably don't have an address and ID in order to vote, you know, on the margins, all of these You know, these are all populations, vulnerable populations that Republicans don't want to vote. Right. You know, because in addition to gerrymandering, they also just want to depress the vote so hard from a lot of different populations to make it so that they're in control. And so if someone is in the South and they're queer and they feel like their vote doesn't matter, I get it because in many ways it doesn't. And that's the bummer. And that's the structural problem.
3: But to use another bad and overused line, we do need to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and and get involved. And for a lot of people, that does not mean running for an office, even if they've got a lot of good ideas. It, mm-hmm. But it definitely means um, getting involved with campaigns that represent things that you believe in. You don't have to give money to a, to a candidate or whatever, to a cause, um, you can give your time and effort, and doorbell or make phone calls or send postcards or, you know, other things like that, and make a significant difference. But we have to get off our hands and do something, or we're going to be, you know, continuing to be in the doghouse that we are in because it doesn't make any sense when you know that a strong majority of the American people believe in the values that we we do and and then when you see these you know hairline votes uh one way or the other it it's just it's maddening to know that you know there's so many people out there who want to see change but then they don't really participate in the process to to create that change so Well, we're going to continue with more of the happy hour and hope that you'll stay along. There is a renaissance in gay literature, and we're going to talk about that next. It's a turning point for the publishing industry, and you're making a difference. So stay with us. This is the GBC Radio Network.
0: The Gay BC Happy Hour continues with or without Pumpkin Spice. Your taste, your show, and your humble hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack.
1: Wow, that was a little short little intro. I like that one. That's cute. Um, so welcome back to the happy hour, everyone. And um, I do want to throw the number out there uh, one more time for our live listeners the number is 760-677-0111. And uh, yeah, give us a call. I, I, we've been talking about a lot of really interesting issues. And uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on any of them. Um, and whether from from mild to wild. So, uh, yeah. But uh, in the meantime, uh, yes, to a topic. We talk a lot about books on this show. We talk a lot about book bands. Yep, But... There's also, uh, for every book that's banned, there's another book that's being published. And this is a golden era for LGBTQ literature.
3: It, it's sort of turning out that way. Um, and I wouldn't have thought that, especially with the disappearance of so many uh, queer bookstores, which in many communities were were really a centerpiece to communities, especially in some smaller cities where they were. Um, it, it would become like a almost a LGBTQ community center. And I know that's how I felt when I visited um, Nashville, which is not a small town. But when I visited there the first time I went there, um, I actually went to do a show for a few days from uh, what was a kind of bookstore slash community center. And, you know, and I i was thinking the other day when I was in San Francisco uh, a little over a week ago, and I was in the Castro District and walking down Castro Street, and it just was such a glaring thing to me that that, that long-standing LGBTQ bookstore, A Different Light, was no longer there. And, uh, you know, I know that they exist still in some cities, but Uh, Even in my hometown of Seattle, uh, a different light was a huge bookstore. And so when those leave, I think about the fact that, sure, we still have some Barnes & Noble stores around, uh, and there are some um, smaller booksellers, but they don't have an entire store full of titles. And I, I kind of remain concerned about the state of, um, LGBTQ people getting their stuff published because there's not really enough shelf space to accommodate as much as there was in maybe the 80s and 90s and 2000s. And, and so that makes me think that, you know, publishers are probably a lot more reserved in terms of how much they will actually put out there uh, from, you know, in terms of LGBTQ titles. But I was really surprised in in reading this report uh, that NBC News did where they showed that where where it comes to LGBTQ, LGBTQ fiction that we are way way outselling the mainstream of fiction in the past year
1: so it's it it's an interesting the story is interesting because I think it brings up something that, um, is, is just a broadly interesting topic in, in fiction specifically, which is there's really sort of, there's two worlds of fiction. There's literary fiction and then there's genre fiction and genre fiction includes things like sci-fi and romance. And for time immemorial, what we think what you know we generally think about as fiction is literary fiction, which is you know prestige fiction uh and meanwhile those books sell a fraction of what genre sells. romance sells books you know you know traditionally romance is a huge industry sci-fi is a huge fan fantasy, huge industries, and what we're seeing is um an efflorescence of um, LGBT of queer LGBTQ genre, we're seeing a ton of gay romance books, gay fantasy, gay sci-fi, um, or queer um, sci-fi, queer fantasy, queer romance, and it's a really interesting dynamic because I think there's a huge capacity for it. And one of the things that I find really interesting because, um, you know, I. Uh, you know, I like to read books and I, I tend to generally read literary fiction, but I've dabbled. I've dabbled in gay romance. Uh, don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> they're fun to read. Uh, they're easy reads and they, they go quick and you can read. I mean, you can just blow through one of them in you know, a couple hours. The thing I, f- I found really fascinating about gay romance novels is Specifically, gay male romance novels. Many, many of them are written f- by women authors for primarily women audiences. Th- the, and if you look at the reviews on Amazon, or if you know you look at Goodreads or whatever, um, a lot of the readers of of you know of romance type books that have a gay that are gay male focused. Are women readers, actually, hmm. cis, straight women readers who want to see men interacting and having and emoting in the way that they kind of see gay men emoting and, and reacting? It's very interesting. It's actually kind of hard to find gay romance novels. That that center on two men that are actually written by gay men. So many of them <laughs> are written by straight women. It's kind of a remarkable, actually. Wow, I didn't know that. It's a whole thing, and like, and if you look even too, um, you know, in uh, I know in uh, the in like the Japanese kind of manga culture, um, there's there are whole uh, categories of kind of male love. Uh, that really are are marketed towards young girls, who are very interested in that subject.
3: Wow! See, the more you listen, the more you know. Stay with us because we're going to talk about some ideas for products that you might want to consider purchasing. With the GBC Happy Hour Seal of Approval coming up next, and Richie, he's got his he's got his barkeep apron standing by <laughs> and his fizzle sticks and he's going to be doing some more mixology 101 for you coming up in our last segment this hour so it's all still ahead right here on the gbc happy hour
0: The GayBC Radio Network presents the weekly public service, the GayBC Happy Hour Seal of Approval. Does it fly or does it die? Products, services, and customer service that will turn you on or turn you off. Does the cup runneth over or has the well gone dry? Richie and Johnny, take it away.
1: Welcome back, everyone. And uh, we're entering into the. Uh, the final two segments of the happy hour two, two of my favorite segments actually because i love uh getting to talk about our recommendations and demerits and then our mixology corner so um yeah and you know we're heading into uh the holiday season so there's always uh gift giving as an option um so uh yeah i think uh i was thinking about it um you know Coming into you know the cold season and stuff, sometimes there's nothing better than a hot, a long hot shower or bath. And so, where I'm going for my recommendations this week are some ways to um, up your game with your shower and bath regime. And the first one I'm going to recommend is there's a company called Moulton Brown. They're based in the UK. Um, uh, when she was alive, I believe that they were the purveyors of uh, toiletries to the queen. I'm not sure if they are now the purveyors to the king or not but um regardless they make amazing amazing bath uh, and shower gels hmm. um the scent that they have a broad range of scents um and I've tried, probably at least 20 of their different scents. Uh, and they're all beguiling, beautiful smells, um, great texture. They foam up amazingly. They're great bubble baths. They're also really, really sumptuous as shower gels. So molten Brown Bath and Shower Gels, I'm going to um, put that. So that's sort of the first one. I will go with that. And uh, that one, they're a little bit pricey. But they they last a really long time. You don't need much to actually kind of you know get a great lather. So I'm going to go with Molton Brown. Um, as so let's we'll start with the shower the shower gel. Um, we will move on to um, shampoo and conditioner. Ursa Major is a great company. They're a B Corp. They're a clean you know sort of like all natural ingredient type company. They have a beautiful. Uh, Shampoo and conditioner that are all natural, fabulous, um, and all the Ursa Major products project, uh products—that I've tried have been fantastic. They have a great face wash, they have a great, um, uh, a great uh, uh, face cream that I actually use every day. Um, so, Ursa Major is another purveyor to check out. If you want to go kind of a little bit more, um, a little bit more on the minimalist side. I know uh, everyone knows of it, but don't sleep on it. Dr. Bronner's, Dr. Bronner's Castile Soap. Um, The tea tree one in particular, I'm quite a fan of. Um, It's super tingly. It's super refreshing. Uh, It's also, you can use it for like everything. You know, if you look at the label, uh, you know, everything from like, you know, laundry to brushing your teeth to washing the floors to, you know, everything else. Wow. Um, So... That's another, I mean, and I could go on forever. and Getz makes great products. I I actually, I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about toiletries. So uh, those are just a couple on the list. But Molten Brown, I would definitely check out their website. Um, and, and you can't go wrong. I've never been led astray by any of their uh, bath and shower gels. They're all amazing. And they you can get them in beautiful gift packaging um and you, that, you say know, that they're it, from the
3: u k but are they sold by outlets here in the u s uh
1: they have a website just molten brown just yeah. google molten brown m o l t o n brown and uh they they're based in the u k but they have you know distributors in the u s and they ship pretty quickly um you know within a, a day or two you'll get your your molten brown at your door so
3: so it's not like you're gonna have to wait for the slow boat from the u k to bring it
1: no 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 okay. they have they have a distributor in the u.s yeah okay
3: good 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 well that's why you're always looking so um dapper and fresh uh, <laughs> after your daily routine in in the bathroom yes so i have not purchased this product yet but i'm going to be because i am absolutely sold i am uh I like to pride myself on not being easily bought over by social media advertising, but I am a side sleeper. I don't like to sleep on my back or on my stomach, and uh, g- generally prefer to sleep on my right side. So, off and on, I've had pillows that, you know, serve uh, being like a body pillow, but I've never really had one that I thought was really great. And then lately I've been getting fed all these ads on various social media platforms for a company, uh, that makes these therapeutic body pillows, um, to help improve your sleep. And I am absolutely sold on this one called MEDCLINE, M-E-D-C-L-I-N-E. And I've been reading a lot of reviews for it, and, and a lot of people seem to really love this product. So I don't know if you're like me, but um, I actually thought, I wish I'd have found this a little earlier because some, some people have asked me, you know, what would I like for the holiday? Um, and this definitely would have been on my wish list uh, if, if it hadn't been, if I had seen it a little sooner. For sure, but they're offering right now during the holidays a 20% off site wide on their various products, um, and it's like a hook-shaped pillow. So it goes up, so it has a indent where you can put your arm and under it, and it's like carved out there, and then it goes down, so you can like wrap your legs around it, and um, it just looks so comfortable. Uh, I'm I am anxious to. To get one of these but they say that it helps uh, people who are dealing with sciatica and believe me i well i don't deal with that anymore uh, i had my share of that in the time when i prior to my having a, a spine fusion and so i know that pain uh, and i will never forget it it's so horrible lower back pain neck pain uh, spinal uh, alignment uh, pregnancy aches and pains fibromyalgia and uh, medical conditions that benefit from side sleeping so um anyway it's a therapeutic body pillow it's a uh, like a hook shaped thing it's like a J actually is what it looks like and uh, it looks pretty cool so uh, if you wanna find that the website is M E D C L I N E and uh... hopefully you and I will both have a better nice rest with this thing. So I'd be interested in hearing from anybody out there who may have already, um, acquired one of these, but they just have a ton of, of five star reviews. So uh, I think their average rating was like 4.7. So that's, that's pretty good in my book.
1: Hmm. I have another, another totally different recommendation. Uh, and, uh, if you're not into the toilet and this is actually this is it can be a very lavish gift to yourself, but it also would be a wonderful gift for someone else. And I re- recently received from a good friend of mine, uh, I received this as a gift. Um, there's a chocolate here uh, called Stick with Me. If you Google Stick with me chocolates, you will you will see this company. They are the most stunning, works of art they are these gorgeous bonbons these chocolate bonbons that are airbrushed with beautiful colors each one is a different sort of filling um and uh by far the best and i and i'm a big fan of chocolates i've had i've I've had them all. I love C's, you know, I love, you know, whatever, Toy Shirt, sure, whatever, you name it. I've, I've tried them. They're all great. I love chocolate.
3: I have to admit but, that Richie did send me a um, photograph last night of these chocolates. And they're so gorgeous, you're not going to want to eat them. You're going to want to put them on like the coffee table and just keep, uh, you know, uh, dusting them.
1: Yeah, they're they're. I mean, they're they're just stunning works of art. But they're also fantastically delicious. I mean, just each one, you know, you know, praline and you know, and lime curd and just all these different interesting flavors. And so, um, if you want to, if you really want to, to get someone a really beautiful um, gift that they are going to absolutely treasure and then devour, uh, look up on Google. Stick with me chocolates um i i cannot tell you how delicious they are and um uh you know chocolates are always kind of a nice you know thing around this time of year um you know they're fun to to choose from i mean if you want to if you want to also i mean i will say um you know that said i will not kick a seize nuts and chews out of bed for chewing you know for eating biscuits i mean that's a classic but um these are next level amazing chocolates. Um so I'll throw that out there. You know, while we're you know while we're in the gift giving season, another thing that I would say um to think about is uh
2: oh
1: gosh. I mean I it's just so funny because I I have so many ideas right now. But um, you know, writing instruments, um you know, pencils, uh, Blackwing pencils are amazing pencils. They have some limited editions and things. Um, I would definitely check out Blackwing pencils. They are the best, I mean, there are many great pencils out there, um, but they are one of the best uh, purveyors of pencils. Um, and they they have various different, you know, sort of uh, uh, softnesses and they have different limited editions from time to time that are beautiful. Um, do people you know, still you can use then, pencils? What was, what was that? I said, do people still use pencils? I use pencils all the time. Do you? I mean, I use pencils more than I use pens. Wow. Uh, and in fact, pencils predate pens. Well, I'm sure. But... Uh, at least, at least ballpoints and uh, uh, and uh, roller balls. Um, yeah, I mean, pencils are pencils have been around for a long time. They're indelible. Uh, they don't fade they erase which is very nice um they're fantastic they're great for you know drawing um no don't sleep on pencils i write in pencil almost exclusively i wow i went through a phase where i was a very i was really into fountain pens and i you know i was writing almost exclusively with fountain pens especially in law school i was i went through bottles of ink with my fountain pens but um i really now nine times out of ten unless i'm signing something that requires ink I'm using a pencil. I love a pencil.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, Blackwing is great. Musgrave is another American pencil company that has fantastic pencils. Uh, their news pencil is a really nice one. Um, uh, but they have a, they have different sampler packs that you can get. What's the uh, news pencil? Musgrave.
3: Is is that, for instance, for doing the newspaper classified, or I mean, uh, uh, the crosswords. crossword?
1: Yeah. yeah, it's a very soft. It's a very soft pencil. It's a wonderful one. But they sell they sell sampler packs, mm. and uh, they're really fun because you get, you know, uh, eight or ten or whatever different pencils, you know, hexagonal, round, jumbo, uh, you know, a bunch of different kinds. And they're just fun. It's just fun mm. to write with pencil and to get a bunch of different random pencils. They're very cheap, uh, but very good. So... Um, yeah, those are just some some of the things that I, I'm you know have in mind. Um, you know, as we go into the gift season, uh my mind goes into overdrive, you know. I I love I love gift giving and so uh, you know I tend to, my, my rubric tends to be, um, I like to give gifts that I would like to receive.
3: I should have known. You know? I'm looking over your shoulder right now and seeing that you actually have a pencil sharpener, it looks like, that is attached to the desk behind you or the counter. That is,
1: Yes, that is the Dahl 133. That's a, a very, very great, inexpensive, and excellent pencil sharpener. D-A-H-L-E. You can get that on Amazon. Just type in Dahl pencil sharpener it sharpens jumbos and regulars it's an excellent pencil sharpener yeah
3: take it from a pencil guy i don't think i've used one probably in the better part of 10 years
1: <laughs> oh my gosh johnny mac i'm gonna have to send you a pencil sampler I,
3: I commit to whatever i write i commit to paper i guess you know i just have all these pens but they frustrate me a lot too because, of course, they always run out of ink at the moment you don't want them to.
1: And you know what? A pencil will never run out of ink because it doesn't even use ink in the first place. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are those are some things that I've been thinking about. Um, you know, perennial gifts. Uh, All really another- good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about uh,
3: fixing yourself some great cocktail or mocktail that you've not thought about before. Richie's got some ideas where that's concerned as well and we're going to hear about them when we come back with our final segment of this edition of the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack and our phone number is 760 677 0111 760 677 0111
0: Mixologist Richie Roy and his ice cube handler Johnny Mac present the latest lessons from the Gay B.C. Happy Hour School of Mixology As they say at Gay B.C.
1: Bottoms up Hello and welcome back to the happy hour and we are entering into the home stretch and with that you know it is time to think about a beverage or two and uh This week, you know, so, um, I went to the opera, um, last, was it last weekend? I think it was last weekend. Oh, it's all running together. But, um, one of the things that I like, I didn't actually get it this time at the opera, but one of the things that I like that they offer at intermission is adult coffees. And I love an adult coffee, I have to say, um, and you know now that we're kind of in the cold season, um, that's my drink for the week is actually an adult coffee. You brew up a nice pot of coffee, you throw in some some Irish whiskey, some Kahlua, some you know uh, whatever you want to throw in there. Um, Bailey's and Bailey's, yeah, and it's. It It's nice because it's, it actually, you know, it's, it's warming, it's energizing and it's calming at the same time. It's kind of a great, it's kind of a great move. Um,
3: I, have, I have to tell you, I, I don't like Irish whiskey and I don't really like coffee, but I love Irish coffees. Yeah. You know, and, and I like everything you said that you could throw into the coffee that's the only way I would drink coffee, is in an adult coffee, because those really do taste good.
1: They're amazing. I mean, another, I mean, actually, to, to add to the list, Frangelico sure, is another one. Sure, absolutely. Li, liqueur, liqueur 43, which is like a kind of a vanilla one. Uh, that's another one you can throw in there. Um, what else? I'm trying to think. Um, there's like another one that they offer at the opera. Whew, I'm drawing a blank. But yeah, um, yeah, something like a frangelico, uh, which is kind of a hazelnutty, mm-hmm. um the corquad and is vanilla. Um Kahlua. Kahlua is a classic. Um and yeah, it's just it's a really fun, easy it's an easy drink to make. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's especially great um after a meal. You know, I love, you know, I I'm a big fan, you know, I, I I kind of go back and forth on dessert. Sometimes after a meal, I'm just too full, and a dessert is too sweet and too it's just too rich. Like I many times I just don't want a dessert, um, even though I like the idea of it. But I'm always ready for a coffee after a meal. I like the bitter, I like that bitterness. I like just sort of the the sort of stomach settling or or stomach, I, I don't know what. It does something to my stomach that makes me happy after a meal to have a coffee. And to have an adult coffee really just kicks it up a notch. And, you know, it's actually great too, even without the meal, um, you know, let's say you're going to your home, you know, you're home, you had dinner, spent a few hours, you're going to watch the Food Network, you know, and, and get ready for bed, have a cup of coffee, have a cup of decaf, throw in some Baileys, throw in some Irish whiskey, you're done. It's great. So that's that's the alcoholic drink um, of the week, and then I will say to stick with the coffee thing. I will say um, for the non-alcoholic drink, um, play around with some coffee. Um, you know, a drip coffee is great. I, I I love drip coffee. I know some people are not into it, and just get over it. It actually can be quite great. Um, depends on your machine. Uh, you know i have a i have a Mocha master Techniform, which makes great drip coffee um highly recommend that but um if you want to go uh, in a different realm look into an aeropress it's a cheap 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 device it's it's made by the same guy who invented the aerobee which is like that ring the, the frisbee ring that they that was kind of popular in the 80s that was just an open ring and you just throw it and it went really far He's this weird inventor. He's a weird inventor guy, but he invented the AeroPress, which is uh, a little, you know, uh, Lexan plastic th- plunger. And you put in a little paper filter and it makes one cup of coffee. And, uh, it's, and it, it's a press. And basically what you're doing is you're making an espresso shot um, in, uh, you know, with just boiling water and coffee. Uh, it's cheap. It makes fantastic coffee, and um, if you're at all someone who likes coffee and wants to try something easy, different, and really extracts coffee in a way that that, uh, Drip Coffee Maker doesn't, check out an Aeropress. It really does make fantastic coffee. So that's, that's kind of, those are the the two that I'm going to go with is just adult coffee and then regular coffee. And, you know, to that, to that end, um, also try out different beans. Um, you know, uh, don't, don't go to Starbucks. Don't get your beans from Starbucks, please. They over roast everything. Um, you know, try intelligentsia, try Stumptown, find a local roaster, um, get a, try a light roast. Honestly, if you haven't tried a light roast, that is, you know, that is game changing because it doesn't just taste like an ashtray, you know, it tastes fruity and floral and, you know, interesting. So, uh, you know, that play with coffee that I'm that's what I'm going to go with this week is just play with coffee, throw some, you know, throw some booze in there, may make it in an AeroPress, just do it different. Just have fun with it. That's, that's where I'm going this week.
3: Okay. Sounds like a plan. I, your palate, you have a great tolerance for bitter. I've noticed just in our talking generally about food and such. Yeah. Um. I wonder how prevalent that is uh, among people because I have. Uh, that is the one kind of taste that just sends my you know it's like my tongue hitting a pit that has. Deodorant in it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I
3: said that right as you took a drink, but I didn't mean to cause you to almost spit up there. But, but yeah, I I, I don't know. I just I have a hard time with bitter stuff. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's why I don't really like
1: dark dark chocolates either. Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. I think that. You know, I think like some things you kind of have to be eased into them I mean, to the extent you want to be. I mean, not everyone – you can just basically say I don't like bitter and that's fine. If you want to like bitter, um, it's easing yourself in. You know, it's – um, you know, for instance, uh, a way in – you know, I'm thinking about, for instance, um, like if I were to, to like try to baby step someone into bitter is like something like a glossy orange slice Mm. you know which is obviously you know dipped in chocolate and sugary but you're eating the rind and so you're starting to get some bitter in there you know
2: yeah
1: um then you know some drinks like a like a um an aperol spritz or a you know a campari spritz where you're getting the bitter but you're also getting some sweet from the prosecco or something so you can kind of start to like appreciate some of the bitter notes i i definitely kind of baby stepped my way into a lot of sort of of the stronger flavors that I now really love. You know, I love, you know, strong pickle flavors, strong bitter flavors, strong sour flavors. Yeah. Really salty things like a uh, umeboshi plum, which is so salty that it just uh, like you know, your your mouth is ringing with how salty it is. Wow. But um it just over time it's like my capacity to to take strong flavors has just gone through the roof. And I think it's just, you know, it's just through constant exposure to kind of more and more of it. Um, But not everyone, you know, you know, if you want to kind of go in the opposite direction, you know, there are people who um, adhere to let's say a macrobiotic diet and they like to eat incredibly bland foods and they're very, it's a very balanced meal, very delicious, almost no flavor, but, that's fine. You know, it's like if that's if that's what really gets you the the kind of satisfaction of a kind of warm, you know, bland meal, that's totally cool. For me, it's like my my tongue just wants like, you know, it wants the, you know, and I think the new American cuisine has really pushed is, you know, exploring salt, sour, you know, bitter, sweet savory umami all of those pushing all of those as far as you can at the same time you know (laughs) yeah and just trying to kind of just like cover the waterfront with all of it at once right and i feel like that's kind of a thing you know you know you get this idea like um brussels sprout uh, you know, roasted Brussels sprouts with bacon and, you know, maybe tossed in like a uh, kind of fish sauce with, a, with sriracha or something. So what you're getting there is you're getting heat, you're getting funk, you're getting uh, kind of like Bitter, sour from the the roasted Brussels sprout. You're getting the roasty flavor. It's like all you're getting the salt. You're getting some oil, you know, some fat from you know what it's roasted in. So it's like you're getting kind of like hitting all of the all of the notes as as high as you can hit them. Right. Um, Interesting. That said, that said, you know, one of the sometimes I'll I'll one of my favorite things to do is just make um, a perfect pot of basmati rice and just eat straight up rice you know (laughs) so it just depends but um yeah so coffee
3: we will be back with you on january the 4th with the next edition of the live gbc happy hour until then we have a whole bunch of episodes you can check out at gbchappyhour.com and we hope that you will and that you'll let your friends know about us and that we can get together again in the new year. Have a great holiday. Richie,
1: I'll see you then. I will see you then. Happy holidays. Happy New Year.